Good morning, Redeemer. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, We are, as we just read in John chapter 1 this morning. The angels said to the shepherds, we saw last week, we saw, uh, heard from the reading this morning, that uh, we, we bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And I think a lot of people experience the Christmas message uh, and, and which is the Christian message, right? Uh, I think a lot of people don't experience the, the Christmas message as good news of great joy. Uh, probably there's a lot of reasons for that, uh, but I think part of it is that there are misconceptions about Christianity that, uh, that are prevalent in, in the world and in the church. And one of them is basically that the Bible says, uh, get your act together or God is going to throw you into hell. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, that doesn't sound like good news of great joy to me. If Christianity is essentially a, a message about how to live a moral life and then go to heaven when you die, um, then honestly, I'm still a little bit interested because I'm interested in going to heaven and not to hell. Uh, but, but uh, you know, I, that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't stir up joy in my heart, <laughs> right? That uh, doesn't uh, capture my imagination. I'm not filled with joy. I'm filled with dread, if that's the case, because uh, there's a bunch of ways to mess up, you know? And on top of that, I'm very skeptical of a morality message. I'm skeptical of a morality message because I know how fickle and weak there's a bunch of ways to mess up, you know? And on top of that, I'm very skeptical of a morality message. I'm skeptical of a morality message because I know how fickle and weak my own motivation is. Right? Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll motivate it to do the right thing for a, a day, or for a week, or for a month. Um, but, but how many resolutions have I made and then broken? How many plans have I made to do the right thing and then not followed through? Maybe you're a Christian, and, and, but you've struggled this year to, to have joy uh, this Christmas season. In, in a year like 2020, there's certainly some uh, things to be concerned about. But the, the world that Jesus was born into 2,000 years ago wasn't one, it wasn't a world of, of just perfect peace and civility, right? No, there was darkness then, just as there's darkness now. And, and yet the angel said, this is good news of great joy. So how is this so? How can this be good news of great joy? Today I want to see a few reasons that the, the message of Christmas, the message of the first advent, is, is truly good news of great joy for all people, even us, and even now. So we'll see three things, the person, the action, and the offer. Three things uh, from from John 1, the person, the action, and the offer. Let's pray once more, um, and then then dive right in. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you that that you have not left us in the dark, uh, but you have revealed yourself to us in Jesus and in your word. Uh, we want to we want to see him today, and so Holy Spirit, would you come and would you reveal the glory of of God to us, the glory of the Son? We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. First, the person, the person, the Advent verse in in John one is verse fourteen: the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. What's this talking about? Well, if we, if we go back to verse 1 of the chapter, we're introduced to the word. The word. Uh, look at, at verse 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
All things were created through him. Apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. The word uh, is a person, right? According to verse the, the he in verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Um, the word also apparently was from the very beginning, was with God, and also was God. So we're getting the Trinity here. Um, all things were created through the word. Verse 14 says the word became flesh. So this, uh, this uh, person, whoever he is, became truly human. And then finally, verse 17 gives us a name, Jesus Christ. John is talking about Jesus, which won't surprise you since you're in church. Uh, uh, so, so Jesus is the word, right? So what do we learn about Jesus here from this passage? A few things. First, we see that he is the word, right? He's called the, the word. The logos is, is the, the Greek word there. John, John, he's borrowing this word from his culture. It's a Greek word uh, to say that Jesus is the organizing principle of the universe, right? He, he's, he's uh, logos is where we get the word logic. That Jesus makes everything make sense. He, he is the, the, the word, the, the speech, the expression of God, God's self-revelation. Jesus is the word, Number two, what do we learn about this person, Jesus? He is God. He is God himself. Jesus is God. Uh, as the Nicene Creed says, and, and as they got this from this verse, right? They, they looked at, at John 1 a lot uh, when, when, uh, when formulating this. Light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. Jesus is divine. He is God. And number three, we see all things were created through him. All things were created through him. The Bible paints uh, a picture of, of human origins that are very different from, from the picture that our modern materialists paint. Right? Rather than random chance and natural selection, the Bible says all things were created, were designed, formed. God, through his word, spoke matter and order and, and physics and mitochondria and butterflies into existence. He built the world like a contractor. He hung the stars like a decorator. He formed us like a master sculptor. This is important for getting to why this is good news of great joy. We have to understand who this person is, who we're talking about. Right? Jesus, he made everything. Not, there was not one thing made that wasn't made through him. Number four, he's the, the life and the light. He's the life and the light. More specifically, John says, the life is in him, and, and that life was the light of men. I think this is what people want. I think people want the life. The life, true life, real life, the life we're meant to live. I, I, I really like a lot of the self-improvement, um, you know, literature, the books and podcasts and, and media and stuff. I listen to a lot of this stuff. And, and it seems like this is what they're often driving at, right? If you can just have this mindset or use this tool or cultivate this habit or buy this product or read this book or be this productive or Marie Kondo your space or eat clean, you know, whatever it is. You can have the life, the life you've always dreamed of. That's always how it's set up, right? There's this life just waiting for you. If only you'll take this path, right? It usually makes me money if you take that path. 
But there's a longing there, isn't it? Why is it so popular? There's a longing, there's a hunger, and it's something we can't ever quite reach. What is it a hunger for? Is it for life? And here's a bold claim by John. The life is in Jesus. Jesus is what you're looking for. He's he's the one you need. If you find him, you have it all. You have life. And this life is the light of men. The light of men. Jesus is the life and the light. So he's the word. He is divine. He's God himself. The creator of all things. The life and the light. And this leads us to our next point. The action. The action. What he did. Verse 9 says the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus is the light and light reveals reality, right? If you walk in here, it's completely pitch black. You don't know what's in here uh, but until you turn the lights on, right? And then you know, you, it shows reality. Jesus came and turned the lights on for us. Now we know who God is and what he's like. Uh, in 1961, the Russians were the first uh, to, to put a man into space. Uh, the Russian cosmonaut, who was an atheist, uh, reported that he did not he reported that he did not see God anywhere up there. Uh, C.S. Lewis famously responded that uh, looking for God in space was like Hamlet looking in his attic for Shakespeare. H- Hamlet wouldn't find Shakespeare, the author of the play, uh, anywhere inside the play itself, right? No matter where he looked. If Shakespeare wanted Hamlet to know him. The only possible way was if Shakespeare wrote himself into the play, if he made himself a character in his own play. And this helps us grasp, I think, the magnitude of what John is saying here. The author writes himself into the play. The creator comes into his creation. We we could not have gotten to God. We could not have found him if he didn't reveal himself to us. But the word became flesh, verse 14 says, and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This word dwelt among us, it means literally tabernacled among us. So just like God's presence filled the tabernacle in the Old Testament, Jesus came and he lived among us. He made his dwelling place among us. Eugene Peterson paraphrases it this way. He moved into our neighborhood. He moved into our neighborhood. Do you you ever think about that Jesus could have lived in your neighborhood? If you're a working class person, probably not if you're rich. (laughs) Right? We we think, we we, we put these things, we hear Nazareth, Galilee, Capernaum, all these, and it's kind of like, oh, those are nice places. But we just have to think, that was just a small town. Right? It wasn't an impressive place. It's like, oh yeah, Jesus from Tomball. Like Jesus from Waller. Like, oh yeah, he was from Conroe. Like, this is what it meant. Like, oh, from Nazareth. Philip, Philip says that, doesn't he? And, like, Nazareth, nothing good comes out of Nazareth, you know? It's just a small town. He could have lived in your neighborhood. This is one of the wonders of Christianity and of the, <laughs> the universe, of, of everything. The baby in her womb, he was the maker of the moon. Right, Mary, did you know? She did know, because the angel told her, right? Uh, but... But the song still gets played, I think, because it gets, it gets at the wonder of this. gets at the majesty of this. Like Mary kissed the little chubby face of God. 
How does a cosmos shaper fit into a womb? How does the one who holds the atmosphere together enter the atmosphere? Light of light, very God of very God became himself the son of man. And we just have to take hold of the wonder of this. Right? John is saying the, the logos, the light, the life. This was a, a, a man, a dude I met. I worked with him for three years. I spoke with him. Right? John's not writing religious theory here. He's not writing a mythology for us. He, he says in, in 1 John 1, he says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Right? He saw Jesus. He, he touched him. He saw Jesus sweat. He heard Jesus talk and laugh and cry. He ate meals with the man. Jesus truly moved in to our neighborhood. But it didn't go so well for Jesus in our neighborhood. We live in kind of a rough neighborhood, it turns out. Because he came to his own and his own people didn't recognize him and didn't receive him. And the ultimate proof of this, of course, was what Jesus was most known for, right? That he was executed on the cross by the government at the request of the religious leaders. And while it's not spelled out explicitly in this, this passage, um, verse 5 gets at what happened next, right? As good authors do, uh, John is foreshadowing his whole message in his prologue when he says in verse 5, the, that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus, the light, was snuffed out and was laid in a tomb. But like every good movie, right? And this is where good movies get it. That wasn't the end. Darkness didn't win because he rose. He rose from the dead and he lives. And the darkness has not overcome the light. Jesus came, God in flesh, to reveal the glory of the Father to us. He lived and he died in our place. He rose in glory. This This is what he did. This is his action. So third, let's look at the offer the offer. Look at verse 16. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses, it says. Right? Um, Moses was the one who brought the Ten Commandments down from the mountain, right, written by the very finger of God. Uh, the Ten Commandments are, are still very prominent today. They're still very popular today. Uh, and maybe this is where some of the misconceptions about Christianity stem from. People just know the Ten Commandments. So people think that this, they think this about God, that he's, he's kind of a distant and somewhat angry deity who, you know, has these commandments, thou shalt not. And he always speaks with that in the old English, you know, King James. And he's just waiting to punish people. But in the context of the Bible, right, we have to understand that the law was a gift. The law is a good thing. Um, the law reveals God's heart, God's design, the way the universe works. It was a great gift to God's people. Jesus himself spoke very highly of and upheld the law. So while not disparaging the law, we have to understand, John is saying something very important here. When he says the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That there's a tension in the Old Testament. There's a tension that the law creates for God's people. And and it says, how can a perfect and holy God be gracious to sinful people? Right, all throughout Israel's history, God is saying two things. He's saying, 
I, I love you. You're my people. I will always be faithful to you and bless you. And he's also saying, if you will follow my rules, you'll have blessing. If you disobey my rules, you'll have punishment and you'll be cursed. Right? And, and all throughout the Old Testament, what do God's people do? They break his rules. They break his rules. They, they can't keep the law. Um, and they do get God's punishment. Right? He does punish them. He sends them away into exile. Um, but, but he always says, it's, it won't always be like this. There's always this tinge of hope, even in the punishment. I will not forget my people. I will keep a remnant. I'm merciful and gracious. And this is a big tension point in the Old Testament. How can God punish sin, but be gracious to sinners at the same time? The law was given through Moses. We, we received the law we learn God's will, and, and with it we learn that we can't keep God's law, right? We, we learn that his standard is perfection. Have you learned this? Right? We, we fail. We can't, we can't measure up. We just can't. We fail daily at this. But what came through Jesus Christ? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. We, we see in Jesus that the perfect embodiment of God's word, which is full of grace, is full of truth. And that's a tough balance, right? That's a tough balance. Some of you are truth people, right? You tell it like it is. And, and you know what? Sometimes you're not fun to be around, right? Sometimes your relationships suffer because of that. Some of you are grace people, right? You'll overlook any offense. But you know what? Sometimes your relationships suffer because you can't say what needs to be said. You're not able to, to confront something that needs to be confronted. But Jesus is full of both grace and truth. What does it mean? First truth. God does not overlook our sin. He doesn't just dismiss it. He doesn't just turn an eye and not, you know, ignore it. If anything speaks to the truth of our situation, it's the cross of Jesus. Right? I am so bad. You are so bad. The world is so broken. We are so enslaved to sin and Satan and, and Satan's powers that the only solution is that the perfect son of God had to suffer and die for us. Don't you think if there was another way, he would have taken it? He would have. He said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Right? There was no other way. He could not have been more truthful about the helplessness of our slavery, the depth of our fall, the extent of our depravity, the magnitude of our pride and our rebellion. Like, what, like think about it. What could he have done to show us more truthfully how wrong we really are and how real God's wrath really is? But God is also full of grace, full of truth. He's also full of grace. If anything speaks to the grace of God, to his heart, for sinners and sufferers, for his kindness, his love. It's the cross of Jesus. Jesus had to die for you to be saved, yes. But he was glad to die for you to be saved. Right? Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The one who is life himself willingly laid down his life for you. And this is the resolution to the tension of the Old Testament, right? How can God punish sin yet be gracious to sinners? The cross, the cross, God's perfect justice, right? And God's perfect love. Jesus takes our sin. He takes the blame. We get forgiveness. We get grace. 
But that's not all. And I think that's why John says, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. It piles up. Look at the offer of verse 12. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. The, the offer is not just to be forgiven, it's to become a child of God. It's, it's adoption. It's to be brought into the family. And I, and I love the simplicity here. How do you get the right to become a child of God? Right, what do you have to do? Think back to the misconception that we talked about earlier. Isn't Christianity all about living a good moral life? Is that what you have to do? You have to sort of clean yourself up, get to a certain level, and then you're kind of qualified to be adopted into God's family? No, that's not what it says. What does it say? It just says, to all who did receive him. It's as simple as what each of you will do this Christmas morning in receiving a gift. That's, pre- that's a pretty low bar. That's pretty easy. Anyone can do that. Could it, could it be that simple? Could it be that easy? It says to those who, who believe in his name. Those who believe in his name. What does that mean? Um, it, well, the word name can also be translated as persons, right? Persons. Um, so, so it could be those who believe in his person, or maybe the sense is those who believe in his reality, those who trust in his reality. So what does it take? It takes a simple coming to Jesus, trusting him, and receiving what he offers. It's receiving a gift. And, and as if to emphasize our inability to, to earn our adoption, to get there on our own, John says in verse 13, who were born not of natural descent, nor of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. We can't just try really hard to get into the family. Right, to be adopted, we need, an, we need a new life. We need life that we didn't have before. And so the life, the fullness that is in Jesus overflows into you and you're born again. It's not natural descent. It's not by human will or action or planning. There's nothing you can do. This birth is simply from God. It's from above. It's a gift that he gives. I say there's nothing you can do. There is one thing. You can just ask for it. That's how you get it. You just have to ask. How, how does this relate to joy? How does all this relate to joy? In a year like 2020, it's easy to lose our joy, right? Many, many in the world without God can only hope for better days, right? They, they can only hope that the situation improves. And if that's you, I would just love to ask you very respectfully, where do you place your hope? What, what, what are you hoping will get better? What, what is there to take joy in when perhaps things won't get better? I think we all have to admit that, you know, it's possible that politically and economically, socially, with a pan- pandemically, uh, personally, um, in your family, things with your health, it, it's possible that they won't get better or, or that they'll get way worse before they get better. And if, if your joy, your stability, your mental health, your well-being is based on your immediate circumstances not going badly, like you're just basing it on your, your life just not, not going badly in one way or another, I think you're like a trapeze artist walking a mile-long tightrope over the Grand Canyon blindfolded. 
you might make it. But the chances are you won't. One thing I love about Christianity is that it gives us the resources to have joy no matter our earthly situation. Our joy is not based on our situation. Well, I should say it's not based on our immediate temporary situation. (laughs) It certainly is based on our true situation, which is children of God who receive from his fullness grace upon grace. Because if we see the person who Jesus is, the action, what he did, we, we see his offer and we accept his offer, how can we not walk in the joy of the Lord? What, what's the answer for a Christian who's struggling to find joy? Which we all do, <laughs> right? What's the answer? It, it's not to, to close our eyes to reality, right? It's not to, to, uh, to close our eyes to the darkness, to the sin, just ignore the suffering in and around us. No, it, it's, it's actually to open our eyes wider, right? To lift our eyes, to look further, to look to Jesus, right? Deeper and deeper into the reality of Jesus. It's to believe in his name more and more. It's to tell ourselves the truth of what we know to be true, right? We need not numb our senses, right? What what does Paul say? Don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. You ever thought about that? What a strange thing to say. What is he, is it, well, don't, you don't need to, to be happy. You don't need to numb your senses with alcohol. No, no, you need, to, you need to enliven your senses. You need to, by the Holy Spirit, wake up to just see what's real. Because when you do that, you will be happy. You will have joy. We, we, we need to go deeper into our faith by the Holy Spirit's power. We, we look back with eyes of faith to the manger where the God from Galilee, the infant from infinity lay. We see him suffer and die in our place on the tree, right? We go with the eyes of faith to the tomb and we find it, the stone rolled away and the angel there asking the question, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here because he's risen just like he told you, right? We, we see, we go, in, we go to the future, the eyes of faith and we, we look forward to the resurrection of the body, to the return of Jesus, to to life, to overflowing life, the fullness of life that we receive from the Lord Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. It's real, friends. It's real. The stories are true. The, The good news is good news of great joy. And I hope we've cleared up the misconception that Christianity is mainly about morality. A morality message is about what you should do, right? The Christian message, the Christmas message, is about what God has done in history for us. We couldn't clear our record. We couldn't clean ourselves up. We were helpless, so he came to us. The author wrote himself into the play. The artist painted himself into the canvas, all for love and for justice, full of grace and truth. And maybe you're, you're here and you haven't experienced the good news as good news of great joy in a while. Maybe it's become dull to you. And God is showing you a reason. Maybe it's what we've been talking about, that, that you've been making it about your works. You've been making it about your obedience. Even subconsciously, you've, you've thought somehow 
his love for you was based on your performance. We all do this. Do you know what you need? Grace. You need grace upon grace. And you're like, I don't, Lawson, I don't really deserve God's grace. Good, that pre-qualifies you actually. <laughs> right? He only gives it to people who don't deserve it. Right? He, he justifies the ungodly. He came for the sinners. Right? Are you a sinner? <laughs> Do you not deserve God's grace? Perfect. You get it. Right? Grace upon grace. The offer is for you. The invitation is for us to come and receive again from his fullness. Grace upon grace. Experience anew the good news of great joy that is for you. As the song says, we're about to sing, Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. He, the theme of heaven's praises, clothed in frail humanity. In our longing, in our darkness, see the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended. He took on flesh to ransom us. Maybe you're listening today and you've never experienced the joy that's in Jesus because you've not been born again. Right? Maybe, maybe you're in verse 11 here. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. For whatever reason, you've heard about this, maybe you haven't, but you, you've not received Jesus. You've not trusted in his name. You've not trusted him. You don't think he really has anything to offer. You don't believe that he is the life. But after hearing today who Jesus is, what he did, what he offers, will you humble yourself? Will you humble yourself today and receive the gift of God? It's good news of great joy, the angel said, for all people. Are you a person? Then this is good news for you. Right? There's no other way. There's no other life. And you can pursue that as much as you want, but you will find in the end there is no life outside of Jesus. And there's no greater gift you could receive this Christmas than the one that God wants to give you, which is life in his son. And I'd encourage you to come talk to me after. Please talk to the person who you came to church with if you're ready to take that step. Let's pray together and then we'll move to communion. Father, Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the wonder of Advent. Lord, I'm just so struck that we could not have, we could not have made this up. <laughs> it's too wonderful. It's too unbelievable, but it's true. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for moving into our neighborhood. For taking on our sins for taking on our sorrows and for taking those to the grave and leaving them there when you rose. Lord, I pray today that you would give us all joy and you forgive us for, for trying to find joy everywhere else. We look for joy in such stupid places. Would we, would we come to you this Christmas season? Would you, would you make it fresh in our, in our hearts? Would, you, would this good news be good news of great joy? And would we rejoice and praise you and worship you uh, for all that you've done for us. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.